We are the unfairer sex. Today there are free women, free not glasses of wine because uh, Sadia doesn't drink alcohol, um, and a whole world of problems to navigate. Yes, there's going to be some rage, but there's also going to be a hell of a lot of laughing, learning, catharsis and camaraderie along the way. So grab a glass of whatever you fancy and join us. We are so excited today to have Sadia Asmat with us. Oh my God, you said it right! (laughs) Woohoo! I mean, good start, good start. I've had a life of my name being mispronounced, so uh, I tried very hard. Um, she is a British, no, you are a British Asian stand-up comedian and the author of Sex Bomb. You have previously featured on the BBC One and Channel 5, and you are a hijab-wearing Muslim woman who loves sex. In 2018, you launched your critically acclaimed BBC podcast, No Country for Young Women, which was named one of the best audio of 2018 by The Observer and was an Apple top pick for 2018 also. It's so lovely having you, Sadia. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. Um, so we always start every episode with a sorry, what did you say? And when we have a guest on, we'd love to open the floor up to you. So do you have one that you'd like to talk through? Yes. Okay. So I was doing a gig in Cheltenham and I'd never, or Chelmsford, I'm sorry, I always get them mixed up. And then somebody heckled me, get your tits out. And I had a prospective agent in the crowd. So I was like, oh no, what do I do? And then later on, a few days later, I thought of a great comeback, which I can't even remember now. It was something like, oh, you get yours out or what would you want to see that for? Or I don't know, whatever it was, I, I my kind of mojo kicked in three days later. But that was that always stayed with me when he was like, get your tits out. And yeah. I thought it was a very, I don't know, silly heckle. It's a lazy heckle, if nothing else. Easy. Yes, indeed. So that really was lazy. I mean, the thing is, is I think um, this this is one of those things, isn't it, with with like women generally, but then obviously as a comedian, you going to be faced with even more of this stuff but men are just lazy when it comes to trying to like they want to somehow approach a woman with something or say anything because men have to be heard all the time and then they say something stupid like get your tits out (laughs) yeah I think I don't know I don't know if it's like a lack of effort just because it's not even a lot of effort required really um to to be quiet and listen to someone set um and respond accordingly but yeah. i don't know if it's um they overthink it and there's just a distinct lack of bravery or something i don't know i feel like there is a lot of pressure on men i i, I do love men i'm not gonna lie i love women too I, I love people um as much as i hate them but no i um i do think it is hard but i don't know that i don't know sometimes i guess we can get in our head about things and think things are harder than they are 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think like um, what Rihanna, like if you're using this particular case of someone shouting, get your tits out on, on stage, like there are a couple of things to take into consideration. One is you were at work. Like, and I know that for like most people, that's a Saturday night out or that's their Tuesday night with the, with the buddies, whatever. But for you, that's that's your job. So to also, you know, have something like that and you having to respond in a way that, as you said, you know, you had a perspective agent in the audience, right? So to like, you have to be funny. You have to deliver back a joke, but you also then can't, ruin your chances by you know being obnoxious or being aggressive back right yeah and I think um this was quite a while ago so it was a time where it was really like um I don't know basically there were very few female stand-up comics Mm. let alone multiple ones on on the on the lineup so I think I was the only one bar the MC who was a female so you're right it's basically just about kind of um thinking about like how to respond in a way that you know doesn't upset your the promoter who who's paying you to be there your yeah. your your own kind of uh, you, you also like obviously have a relationship with the rest of the audience and so you don't want to like make them think you're not funny and cool um yeah. and then yeah it's just a lot to think and and so yeah when you're a bit of your beginning of your comedy journey it's it's quite a loaded heckle really especially because I don't even show my hair so it's like why is he asking about my tits? But I mean, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, it is. I I just also thought I find it fascinating that, you know, you you experience that in a comedic um, context. Whereas actually a lot like, you know, women have experienced that walking down the street. They've experienced that, you know, in their places of work at pubs and bars and like other places. So I don't think that your tits out is reserved for just like heckling. I think that's generally some men seem to think that it's an appropriate comment to make wherever, whenever they feel that they want to. And I think that comes back to what Rhiannon said. Sometimes it's a power play. Like maybe they don't like the fact there's a female com- um, a female comedian up on stage. And so they feel that they have to try and get the, you know, the comedy act back their way. You know, men are funny, women aren't funny. So let's try and like reestablish that power here by throwing a, you know, again, a lazy heckle well, to a female comedy. Well, the way I took it as uh, well is comedian. that like maybe they just thought, I needed a help and I didn't ask for it, you know, I didn't, (laughs) let me, let me, let me ride this comedy gig. Uh, Let me, let me see how it goes, guys. Give me a chance. Believe in me. Maybe, (laughs) maybe I'll be funnier than you expect. (laughs) I I mean, how is, how is the get your tits out comment going to help? You know, it's to throw you off your stride. I mean, I mean, maybe you could, uh, I don't know, say, are you going to ask every every male comedian to get their dick out or something? I don't know. Or maybe you should have stood in the audience and asked every other male comedian to get the dick out, see what happens. <laughs> there is no camaraderie um, amongst comedians, you know. There's not. It's one of those weird sports where <laughs> no matter what happens to you on or off stage, no one really gives a fuck. So no. it's definitely you just have to, like, chalk it up. And um, I think a lot of women are a lot stronger than we're perceived to be anyway. So yeah. you just go through so much. I mean, what do you think you would say now? Like now, now you've had like a little time. Like, is there a comeback that you mm. like? You go back to? <laughs> a little time. I've had now that I've almost had like a decade. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're <laughs> ten <because> years. <laughs> <laughs> I would have. I would have. To be honest with you, he was. You know what? It's hard, right? Because I think I. I I'm like really. Sh- stupid when it comes to like knowing if people were drinking and and whatnot, and. I've, I've gotten to the point where I've, and, and this is not recent, but like a lot of times people heckling, they just want to get involved and it's, it's good vibes. Like the intentions are well, but like you said, they don't get the constructs that you're at work and that this isn't like, we're not having a chat. This isn't like the TV <laughs> or whatever. Like it's like really happening. It's live and there's audience that are here to be entertained and that we're kind of disrupt disrupting the whole kind of thing. Yeah. So like, 
I feel like it's hard when if they're drinking I don't know that I want to kind of have a conversation with them that you know doesn't kind of take into account that there may be I don't know is that being too nice if I don't want to give them if I don't want to wake them up out of their kind of euphoria as such so you almost want to like egg them on a little bit to be like, oh, okay, buddy, you're having a great evening. Let's keep that evening going. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I have thought about this a lot. I ain't gonna lie, and clearly it hasn't uh, amounted to much. But I, I think I would have probably been like, how big is yours, or what is it that you wanna like? You know, why is it that you? I think I would have tried to like. It's really hard without him asking me again, I suppose. But I think I would have tried to um, understand, well, at least buy me a drink, mate, or something like to broach the subject first or just to kind of play out a joke, basically, rather than him just expecting to see my tits. But the thing is, I will say, actually, Ellie, is that I take your point about how this is sometimes how or often maybe even women are uh, approached or or, uh, spoken to. I don't get it like that was one time and it's never happened before or since and so whilst it wasn't great it felt like a novelty because as a Muslim woman like you literally are treated like you're not you're you're desexualized a lot so Mm. you know it was a it was a one-off but um I don't get treated like the way normal normal women (laughs) not that I'm not normal guys but clearly I'm not (laughs) but the way I don't get the same treatment that women uh criticized or complain about or experience or are tired of etc etc you know it's a very strange uh experience I have so do you then find like in that sort of situation so for me I'd get grumpy at it because I I think I get it quite a lot but do you find that then perhaps you take it not as a compliment but because (laughs) you don't experience it it's actually a bit of a oh hello you know like something new exactly yeah Yeah. I mean I wasn't he wasn't fit or anything um not that that would (laughs) have changed it but um I think, yeah, there was a novelty to it where uh, he actually saw me as a female, um, which isn't like a nice way of being treated. I I hear that and I feel that and I don't want your uh, listeners to hate me, but it was very unusual for me to to have someone so open and candid um, about my assets, if you like, because normally it's like people are quite timid around me. They are threatened or, or, or mm, that might be too strong, but they don't want to make eye contact. They don't want to cause offence. I don't know how. There's a lot of caution um, in play. So maybe he was drinking and he felt a little bit gregarious. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really interesting that, you know, you use the word gregarious to almost excuse his behaviour and to try and explain why why he would feel comfortable saying something like that. But what I find really, really interesting what you just said is that being less cautious around you made you feel seen as a woman rather than perhaps an off-limits person. And whilst it was a degrading comment, as you say, it made you feel not othered in the same way others have made you feel before. And whilst I would advocate for people not making public remarks mm. about it, you know, I, I can really see where your sentiment comes from. So thank you for sharing that story. Um, I also think that, you know, it just speaks to the heart of like intersectional experiences because, you know, being cautious for some people, as you said, is like having a fear about saying the wrong thing. So actually, when people say whatever the fuck they want and and show no signs of caution, then, you know, occasionally that can feel quite refreshing. Whereas for some people, you know, caution is deliberately changing their behaviour so as to not to escalate a situation. And, you know, a really good example of that is if, you know, a woman's been catcalled down the street or she's trying to turn down a, a man at the bar or her Uber driver's trying to coerce her into, you know, you know, staying in the car or going back to his 
Um, a lot of women will double down on politeness as a way to try and safeguard themselves in those situations and make sure it doesn't escalate to violence. And I know that you said that your experiences are different to how other women in your life have been treated, but is this feeling to double down on politeness shared by yourself? Um, and does the fact that some people exhibit caution around you, does that change that at all? I find the uh, an endless cycle or uh, a never-ending kind of... I think it's a hard... It's a difficult argument that's unending because if you're friendly, then you encouraged it. And then if you're like a bitch about it, then um, you are being a bitch. So uh, I think it's like a little bit of a very, very tricky territory. And, and not to say that like men in their 60s don't try it on with me I won't lie um you know it's not to say that I don't get any attention guys um it's just that I think I think it's just a little bit different I don't know if like other women you know get asked to marry someone straight away or um if they're looking at you in the same way they're looking at me like I think sometimes it's like it's weird when they're perving on you for like wifey material whereas other women might be uh kind of hit on for fun um Not that there's a, 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 a nice way of, like, unless it's, I don't know. I... It's a different, it's two slightly different dynamics, isn't it? Where you've got, like, yeah, as you say, like, you've got yeah. being hit on, as you say, for, like, wifey material or being hit on in a, like, show your tits way more frequently. They're two slightly different things. Mm-hmm. And although both aren't fun, you're going to, like, we're going to both deal with them differently. It's an interesting, yeah, yeah it's an interesting dynamic. Like, yeah. 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 And I think um, to answer Ellie's question, because I do like to deflect a question here and there. So apologies. (laughs) I'll try and come back to the point. Um, uh, You know, you do have to do what you have to do to to be safe and feel safe. So if 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 kind of like uh, just keeping a, a conversation going and keeping it kind of like trying to have a level of control over what is going on, if that's helpful, then you have to do what you have to do. I I guess I tend to like be a bit more kind of I'm gonna leave type of attitude just because I'm I'm yeah I don't know I don't even like George Clooney anyway but like I, I don't know I was thinking in my head like if it was George Clooney but I don't even like him anyway. I think it's um yeah I think if you're uncomfortable you're uncomfortable and yeah. it's not all situations warrant a person to exit easily so I, I wasn't trying to be shady there but I just I, I guess my underlying hope is that people can get out of those situations somehow yeah yeah I, I just you know I, I I'm picturing you up on stage and sometimes you know I think they also these comments come out because they know you can't like what's what's the reaction for you right you can come back with a good comeback you can leave your stage um or you kind of have to like keep going and it's kind of embarrassing for you so I kind of feel like the reason people tend to do heckling isn't it? it's to try and it's trying to catch out a a comedian it's trying to prove that they're smarter than a comedian or more funny than the comedian um is that do you agree with that or do you think people are genuinely trying to help your act and they're trying to like you? <laughs> I, I I feel like you know what the only thing I would say is I don't think that there's just one answer so sometimes yeah. like I say I do think people are excited and excitable <laughs> and it's like they're talking to a tv or they just feel like I, th- I think it's an analogy I would use is like post COVID where we hadn't been around like groups for a long time. People are, it's pure banter and they're just really happy. And there is that aspect to it, but there is what you're saying uh, undeniably a kind of out of 
the the person who has the mic so there is that um but i think the best way to handle it is not to take it defensively because it's very easy to feel like he's attacking me and then i think comedians aren't very um funny or uh successful when we're defensive so i've the best kind of put downs i've seen of hecklers are when it's yes anding them and it's kind of like putting them back in their place in a way um yeah. or not feeling threatened and and kind of i suppose for want of a better term marking your territory so i don't think yeah i don't think defensiveness really works um i just think yeah i think uh, it, it's a whole plethora of reasons but i think ultimately it depends on what's going down because if something funny is unraveling that's one thing but i think sometimes i think what's work, what what's really can be frustrating is when an audience member is like consistently and constantly heckling and it's like getting old because the audience is really into the act and they want to see what's going to happen with the show and Mm. that one person is taking up like you know the whole kind of stage if you like and so that can get a bit frustrating but other than like a willfully closet stand-up being in the audience heckling um it's not too bad because you can kind of yeah I don't know I think that's and do you find that you know being on the circuit that like all the acts you see get heckled in the same amount or do you find that certain acts get heckled more do you find that you know again you hear the phrase get your tits out comes up just you know with females on stage or or have you had male comedians have something similar thrown their direction as well um I don't know it's it's hard to kind of like I don't I guess to be honest with you it just made made me really unhelpful but I don't really sit through a lot of others um but I do know that like I've seen a lot of like on YouTube anywhere, like I've seen a, a video of like Jim Jeffries where some audience member punched him, which is obviously what? awful. Yeah, yeah, you can even YouTube it now. And there's like a video of, I think it was in Manchester, but I'm not 100% sure, where literally an audience member came and physically assaulted Jim Jeffries, like punched him. So um, I wouldn't say, like, I think physical is always going to be worse than verbal, even though they both suck. So, and I think that that isn't an uncommon uh I don't think that that's like physical, physically being attacked by a, a heckler isn't an unusual thing for, for male comedians to uh, go through, which I think is awful. And I don't know why that happens. I, I don't know if they think that um, they, they're kind of, they're asking for it or yeah. yeah. So I think um, it there isn't really one reason. Like, I think it's just, it can be really random. I think sometimes like people get starry eyed about like a famous person, but um, or you know, friends be chatting away in the in the in the audience, which isn't a direct heckle, but it's having a heckling effect. So yeah, yeah there's all sorts of kind of um, distractions. But I think a good audience, uh, sorry, a good comedian can basically like own the room and kind of get the vibe back on them type of thing. Like I've I've seen some really good tactics that a lot of my favourite comedians use, where they give them a chance. They're like, look any more out of you we're going to get the security here or I'll buy you a drink if you just shut up kind of thing (laughs) um so there are tactics and then if they consistently don't work then you've got to kind of have them moved out um have them removed because you you have a job to do as you said and um the audience is like kind of yeah it's not fair on the audience as well yeah I just also you know I find it interesting that um Again, maybe that's the difference, you know, female female comedians get shit about their bodies, but male comedians could get punched in the face. So mm-hmm. I kind of feel like maybe um, I, yeah, I read a book at the moment called What About Men? And actually a lot of it came up as, you know, growing up as boys, 
like one of the uh, the bitterness towards women is that we don't have to go to school every day and assume we're going to get in a fight. Whereas little boys grow up with a mentality that they have to be ready for a fight at any time. Mm. Um, so I kind of feel that, you know, like sometimes we forget that I probably won't get punched in the face during the day, but I might get my ass slapped. Um, so there are obviously differences of treatment uh, there as well. Yeah, I'm pretty, pretty sure that Chris Rock wouldn't have been, uh, if Chris Rock had been a woman, he wouldn't have been slapped by, <laughs> by Will Smith, would he? <laughs> Oh, good. That's a good example, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, but, you know, also in the same breath, if Chris Rock had been a woman, I, you know, I highly doubt that he would have been up on stage taking the piss out of Will Smith's wife's illness, you know? So, mm-hmm. I, I, not that he deserved to be slapped and assaulted on uh, at the show, but you're absolutely right. You know, men are much more likely to experience violence. So whilst women are far more likely to be sexualized and dehumanized, which can lead to assault and obviously sexual assault as well, men are far more likely to experience violence in the form of of being hit, punched, you know, um, drawn into fights. And there's also then that expectation that they should also be the one to initiate a fight in, you know, the defence of others. So what's really interesting is that whilst very different experiences, it feels like they both sit, you know, two sides of the same coin in the sense that both men and women have been taught to expect male violence and to handle that in different ways. So for men, they're expected to step up and be as violent for women. We're expected to either have a man as a protector or to use tactics that we've learned, such as being polite to, to try and protect ourselves. And I sometimes think, you know, well, who, who wins in a society where men and violence sit at the top of the societal hierarchy? because it's certainly not the women, and in a lot of cases, it's not the men either. So, as well as being a comedian, you are also now an author, Sadia. Congratulations on your first memoir, Sex Bomb. Would you mind giving us a bit of an overview of what's covered in your memoir? If people haven't read it, why should they be reading it? What are the common themes? And then we can deep dive into those for the rest of the episode. Yeah, I mean, I need money. So <laughs> anybody who wants this, well, that's a bad reason. Um, I'm sorry, you should cut that out totally. No, it's perfectly good reason. It's why Jennifer Grey wrote her biography and it was fabulous. <laughs> so yeah. You guys are so funny. That's really funny. Jennifer Grey wrote a book. Oh my God. And she threw like everyone under the bus in it. It's brilliant. Is she the Dirty Dancing Girl? Yeah. Yeah. yeah oh my yeah. God, I'm buying it. So you read it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and like it's fabulous but she like she doesn't hold back and I just yeah I think she was probably looking for money as well so oh, uh, there's no you, shame there's no shame in making I'm money I'm sad stories. about that because I would want to live in a world where starring in Dirty Dancing you're done that that's you for life <laughs> yeah. that's the world I want to live in how do we not live in that world I mean, She's ama- that's an amazing movie I mean the chemistry between her and Swayze but anyway like that's a shame I'm so like did I write a memoir like go and buy a Jennifer Grey <laughs> <laughs> okay so look there was there's, there's been no cocaine in your one I'll just say that like Jennifer Grey's had a lot of coke in hers there's no coke in yours are you joking not joking so this <laughs> is the me. problem I have this to is say just... is like when you read a memoir of someone that you're like this is going to be awesome so Jennifer Grey you know I happen to know that she didn't her and Patrick Swayze didn't get on very well during the film that's upsetting as you said like cocaine oh why why yeah. she got to take cocaine <laughs> I just I read Christopher Plummer's <laughs> memoir which was um so Christopher Plummer plays Captain Von Trapp in Sound of Music he hated the Sound of Music and I was like what? I just read <laughs> my childhood. Um, and then finally, um, um, 
Dick Van Dyke, who, um, you know, from Mary Poppins, um, was just drunk the whole way through to Shishi Bang Bang because he was an alcoholic. And I was like, for goodness sake. Of course he was. Okay, everything for me. me. That, one, so, that one. Come on, come on, come on. He no warned. that jovial. <laughs> when you're reading someone's memoir, it can all go wrong for you. However, both of us have read this, your memoir, and feel, uh, it did not go wrong for us. I feel... I feel... Oh, you. listen, I, d- I feel like the only mistake I made was there was no cocaine. But look, I mean, there's still time. <laughs> there's still time. Yeah, there's still time. Um, <laughs> Sex Bomb. I really wanted to write this because I've been joking. I love comedy, as you know, and I love kind of I feel like your truth really, really works well in comedy. I, it took me a long time to realize that because sometimes you just have to live lessons. And I'm not I don't have a very like um I don't have a lot of luck in my love life and even though that is the case I think when I was able to make light of it in comedy it it seemed to win over audiences and so at least something worked so I've always been very fairly open about um, talking about it and I always feel like my reality is very different to my perceived reality meaning what people expect of a Muslim girl isn't my lived experience and so um that's always hard when like you're being approached in a way or you're being kind of stereotyped what, what's the word I'm looking for it's always hard when uh you're being perceived in a way that isn't kind of it isn't um what's the word sorry my brain you're good, it, you're good. it's always difficult when you're being perceived in a way that isn't kind of accurate and then you know what position do you have to take do you have to be the educator do you have to set things right? Do you just let them kind of sit in the confusion or or just leave them to it? Like, what do you do? Um, you know, as women, we do kind of, not just women, but like particularly as women, I think we take on a lot of roles um, anyway. And so where does that start and finish? Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, in 2019, I wrote an article for the Metro, um, coincidentally, and they gave it this really cool title that I, I didn't even know of until it came out they called it horny muslim women like me aren't supposed to exist during ramadan and (laughs) it was basically like i had woven in some of my jokes right so one of my jokes is that i I, during ramadan i miss semen more than sandwiches (laughs) or food if if you like so it was kind of like when it went viral the whole world knew I wasn't getting laid. Um, the whole world knew how horny I was. It was very strange overnight. Um, Russia did a version. The Sun tried to botch the version as well. And so it really surprised me, actually. And I don't know if that's me being naive, but it surprised me that there was so much interest about a Muslim woman, uh, sorry, a Muslim woman um, wanting sex or, or having kind of just normal kind of uh, genuine desire or, or kind of inclinations. And so... Then COVID happened 2020 and then I was like, reached out to Katie Packer, my editor, who's amazing. And and um, I shared the article with her and it was really fortunate because obviously we couldn't do comedy. The clubs had shut down and it was a way I was able to stay very creative. And it felt like the right book to write because I really like with stand up is very much talking about real uh, nonfiction experiences. And I felt like I wanted to kind of finally right the wrongs or put a version out that people wanted but hadn't had access to before i.e muslim women always get talked about whether it's the press or or other kind of um outlets but it never feels like it's authentic or rounded or nuanced so i really just wanted to answer the questions there's a section in there 
footnotes um, that I've incorporated there um, as witty aside. There's sections in there with kind of like um, conclusions or summary chapters which answer which use some of my lessons to kind of kind of uh, paint the picture of what I've learned and um, I guess there's neat little takeaways that anybody can have but it's also just entertaining as well and, and it's like very honest and I think hopefully I guess what I wanted to do I'm sorry I'm talking so much but um, I just wanted it to be uh, a kind of like a guide for uh, women everywhere or people everywhere to kind of refer to if they needed to but just so that women like me who don't often get a proper representation mm -hmm. to feel less alone about some of the experiences or uh, situations that they've gone through um, and maybe just feel less um, isolated in them so that if they do need to get help it's not a shame thing or they can kind of feel like um, there won't be such a you know such a judgment upon them and just so that they can kind of um, learn from my mistakes because I would hate for people to make my mistakes um, so yeah learn from my mistakes and uh, yeah I think one of the things I really loved and you kind of you kind of touched on it there when um, you said, you know, especially with regards to your Metro piece, that people were surprised that a Muslim woman had these sexual desires and things. And and how like how do you deal with that? Do you educate or what do you do? And I think one of the things I really, really loved about your book is you both did that sort of element of educating while also being the support for people in the same position as you. So it's aimed at so many different groups of people, which is it was a really interesting thing to read. Um, but also the way you address it. There's a couple of times you say, oh, for white people, this is this. And for everyone else, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and it was just a really funny and like really nice, like nice way of approaching it and going, I'm I'm doing my best to tell all of you what this is like. Some of you are going to get it more than others. Um, but yeah, it was like, a, I, I, I thought it was a really clever way of writing the book and making it both informative, informative, educational and supportive all at the same time. Thank you. That's really sweet. And um, I just appreciate you guys for reading it as well. Um, I don't know. I know these people, there's some people that get ghostwritten or whatever not like, but being a creative like you guys, like we just properly put our whole, like I see from the way you guys do your podcast, like it's, it's it, you don't do it half-heartedly. Like you're proper you care about these themes and you care about women and you care about people um, in general, like not just women, but like, yeah, you care about what you do. And I guess that's what makes it kind of like, um, I don't know, a lot more involved. And so it's definitely quite a lot. Um, but I just, I thought I was really lucky to get a book deal, especially one called Sex Bomb. Like I never thought that, like, yeah, I thought it might be a bit harder to kind of get that, and I just feel like I fell on my feet by meeting Katie Packer, who's like a really young um, editor at the time. And she's like gone on to do even bigger things. She's um, commissioned the Receipts book and Lil Kim's memoir. And um, if it wasn't for, for her kind of believing in it, um, then I think it could have been a little bit harder or perhaps I would have had to kind of change the style or made it a bit more quote unquote accessible. But I was really lucky to have the creative freedom, um, which, you know, I guess what I'm doing is is, is a little bit new because um, it hasn't, yeah, it hasn't seemed to be something that uh, fits with a particular existing offering brand. I don't know if that's the right word. Sorry, let me just speak English. I guess what I'm doing <laughs> is kind of transcending 
the current um, stereotypes of Muslim women, which which is uncomfortable for a lot of people. Like, you know, there's been support from Muslims, but also confusion and a little bit of lack of understanding. Um, and equally, I guess white people probably like, well, we might give it a try, but this isn't maybe a book that we would support. Uh, or, or, or maybe this isn't a book for us. Um, and black people have been like the most supportive. Like I've been really fortunate that people, um, you know, have, have have engaged with it. But I do appreciate that it's something that is um, one of its kind, I think. Yeah, but, you know, being one of a kind isn't a reason for people to, to avoid reading it. And I'm really interested about what you just said there about certain people not wanting to give it a go because it's from a Muslim point of view and not everyone is going to vibe with the themes I think, you know, that goes to the heart of what you said towards the end of the book about white feminism and it not being wholly inclusive. And you go as far as to say that your biggest regret was that feminism took away some of your innocence because you believe that it was inclusive. But then there are examples where feminism, and these are your words now, unceremoniously left Muslim women in burkinis on the beaches in France in 2016 high and dry. And obviously you're referring to the fines and penalties that Muslim women faced for wearing burkinis on public beaches in France. And whilst the burkinis made headlines and the decision by the bookshop didn't, you can certainly draw parallels about the fact that as a Muslim woman trying to bring forward a book with a different point of view, you faced hurdles that perhaps other white female authors wouldn't have faced. And, you know, when, when I was reading your book, another book kept coming to mind and it was Dolly Alderton's Everything I Know About Love. And the reason <laughs> I kept drawing so many similarities between the two is because both of your books were so beautifully written. They were honest stories about love and family. You both spoke about friendships and relationships, the mistakes that we make in love, you know, growing up and the lessons that we learn as we grow older. And absolutely, you know, there were there were bits of your memoir which I couldn't relate to, but on the whole, I was able to connect to the majority of the themes that you you drew on and it makes me really sad to think that one of these books is going to be more successful than the other simply because of a detail mm. such as one was written by a white woman and the other by a Muslim woman and arguably I would say I learned more from your memoir because it was written from a point of view I was less familiar with and I know you never wrote the book with the intention of it being contrasted with Dolly at Alderton's but I think yours was as successful and seeing the success that Dolly Alderton has had you know I believe that yours should be up there as well. And I love that book and it's so generous of you to even compare it. So thank you. Like it means a lot to me. Like I, I was, I also had goosebumps when I read her book and she's a f literally fantastic writer. Yeah. I think um, I, I hear your question um, loud and clearly. And I think it's because it's, it's hard because I don't want to speak for people, but I think if you don't read the book, then you are going to judge it by its cover. Mm. Like I had a um, bookshop event um scheduled for the 1st of June at Nottingham Bookshop um, called Five Leaves, which is meant to be like an indie bookshop. And um, I was told a few weeks beforehand that uh, it had got cancelled, the book event, um, which was for the paperback release. Oh. And um, the bookshop owner, who's a white guy, basically said, Muslim women aren't supporting it and you can't just perform to white people. So it's over. What? And, uh, Why? well listen I, I mean for both reasons money, why like <laughs> why why can't you perform just to white people and why weren't Muslim women supporting it it's just two like queries I mean why am, am I yeah it, it, and it's really complicated because 
when I had first asked him if I could do the bookshop event there, first of all, my Asian friend who's not Muslim had, she lives in Nottingham and she mm. was the one who said, why don't you do a bookshop event there? They're a really cool bookshop. So when I reached out to him, when I reached out to him, he was really positive and so it already kind of felt like something he was going to be backing, which felt nice, which made it harder when he then didn't want to because it, his his intentions had been really nice, right? Hmm. But basically, like, he wasn't really specific. So he was like, okay, the, the Muslim women we who pop into the bookshop who just use us as a transactional um, outlet, they might, be, they might want to read your book, so we'll stock it. But um, the... I guess other Muslim women who we have a relationship with are against your book. And also, if I could add, he said that um, they didn't have any problem when there was a Muslim trans writer who did a book event there or who who kind of had their book uh, publicized there or something. I guess it was a book event there. So it was this was about me. This was this was about a Muslim woman talking about sex, which, um, you know, I, I'm over the I'm over the pain and stuff, but uh, it, yeah, it is what it is. It's um, I think I think that they, you know, didn't read it necessarily. So without engaging with their reasons, which weren't declared, it's wrong for me to kind of pontificate on them. Although obviously we could kind of sit here all day and, and wonder what that is. Um, and I don't I definitely have my suspicions, but I don't feel like it's yeah. I just don't feel like it's make sense to kind of uh pick at it as such um i think fundamentally i know my reasoning behind it and one could one could i guess wonder whether i'm poking fun at islam which i'm not um but i know that like there's muslim women who may have relationships who are not able to talk about them and if if those relationships get tricky or if they aren't serving them like they will be on their own and I wanted them to kind of have a uh, have a a access to a story a manual something that is representing of them without trying to be like the perfect image which so often we're expected to have and just to show them that you know someone that you love may not always have your best interests at heart and that you know you can still pick yourself up from this and and I guess fill in some of the gaps that I didn't have growing up about self-care and looking after yourself and self-love because there's a lot of um expectation and and I guess you could say obligation to care about others which is which is a great thing but I think that you can't forget yourself um and I hope that comes through in a book and so you know, some of it is going to be uncomfortable, I, I would imagine, but um, it's a memoir. So I also put a disclaimer at the beginning that I'm not trying to teach people about Islam. Um, it means a lot to me, but this, this isn't the book where you're going to find out um, about that. And, you, you know, you can look elsewhere if that's what you're looking for. Um, because so often, as I said, we have to place, we have to wear so many hats or so many hijabs and, and you know, um, put on different kind of uh yeah basically play different roles and um a memoir i think that the special thing about it is that is your it's your life story right up to date so i just wanted people to to understand because i think women in sexuality or women in sex isn't well understood so then it's clearly not going to be understood from the muslim female perspective um and it's complicated right it's it's fun and it's um it's it's a whole bunch of things. It's fun. It's sexy. It's uh, heartbreaking at times. It's uh, risky. It's uh, exciting. If I haven't already said that, but there's a whole bunch of things. So 
of course we need to be talking about it yeah and I think the uh, so just on a few of those a few of those things so you know you mentioned about whether some people thought it might be poking fun at Islam I mean I certainly didn't get that in any way shape or form and as you said like it, it, Islam means a lot to you and and there are there were points in it where you'd say something and while you say you're not educating people on Islam I kind of went oh that's interesting and it was something that I might not necessarily have known about I've um, and and so you know I, there is an element of education in there I think but it certainly doesn't poke fun at all um, um, and then when it comes to playing different roles I think you know everyone has that whatever you know all all women have that different roles thing whatever ever race or religion they are you know they're someone's daughter they're someone's mom they're someone's girlfriend they're someone's wife they're then also like a, a business person or they you know work somewhere and so they've got that role to have and then as you say there's then that like sexual side as well when it comes to sexuality and i think a lot of people what again whatever race color religion you are a lot of people find it quite hard to share that and to be open and honest about that side of them and so you add on top of that and and anything around religion that has any um expectations on you when it comes to sexuality that probably just it it kind of exacerbates all of that doesn't it on making it so hard to talk about it and i suppose if those Muslim women who aren't supporting it there's a possibility you know as you said we could pick it apart for ages possibility that they you know can't either don't feel comfortable reading it in case someone sees them reading it and what that looks like if they've not if those other people haven't read it um and and you know and admitting to themselves those desires perhaps or like there could be so many reasons I think everything you've just said is is super interesting and and absolutely makes sense and that's why I think it's such a shame that more people haven't read it and if if white people don't think it's for them I thoroughly disagree um obviously I can't speak for for um the non-white women listen to (laughs) you literally write white women on your third page we're in (laughs) (laughs) what i was gonna say as well is that maybe there's a fear that i'm like normalizing or even glamorizing sex and for those people who worry about that i mean sex does not need any publicity (laughs) from me like i i mean it sells itself i don't even know what it was and i wanted it so (laughs) do you know what i mean and in terms of normalizing it i mean um how can it not be normalized but also it's something that we should be comfortable with um so yeah but i hey listen to rhiannon it is a book for white women yeah no i'm joking but i mean like it's for everybody it's it's, uh, she's enjoyed it and it means a lot yeah also it's a compliment right if you are like if people genuinely believe that you're going to be changing the world into these sex obsessed women i think that's you know (laughs) you've done well there i think um (laughs) <laughs> it's so weird though as well isn't it because i saw that you posted on your instagram must have been a couple of weeks ago now you'd just been on the, this morning i think it was sunday um, morning live sunday morning live and... i've been trying to get on this morning though Ellie, oh. and the boy <laughs> I, I could oh that producer does not answer her email. i mean sorry carry on i'm joking okay <laughs> if you're listening um sorry wants a gig uh, <laughs> <laughs> um so, but you tweeted that like so someone had made a comment and and had taken time out of their day to message you to be like, why bother with the hijab if you're just going to have your shoulders out? Or some comment about your dress being slightly lower cut. Um, like, how do you like? How frequently do you get messages like that? Why do you think people are obsessed 
with your choices. Because for me, the fact that you're wearing a hijab and your shoulders are out suggests to me that you made two very fundamental choices that morning, right? Like you obviously didn't leave the house and forgot to put a shawl on. I think that that shows a confidence in that you, you that's exactly how you wanted to present yourself. So my question is to you, like, why do you think people are so fascinated, certainly with the Muslim culture or any cultures that, you know, require um, a certain type of dress for those? Because even men with the... Um, and forgive me, I've forgotten what the word is, but uh, men who have their the hair The burqa colored. kind of thing, yeah? You mean like the jilbab? The, the dress, basically, isn't it? No, for the for the men, the men who have their hair um, covered seats. Turban? Yeah, turban for seats. Yes, even the small one, is that also called a turban? Oh, topi, yeah, I know what you mean. It's like a, it's a small, you can see a bit of the hair, isn't it? It's called a topi. There we go. So, like, you know, even those get heavily criticised. So, you know, where, where does that criticism come from? So, first of all, Ellie, I think you're giving me way too much credit. I... I don't have that many dresses and so you know like when you're always posting on Instagram you just want to wear something new okay. so there's two decisions no 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 I, the black one I haven't worn that before I better wear that one um, okay. I'm one of those really <laughs> stupid people who buys clothes and then doesn't wear them mm. and then it's like why haven't I worn you and I don't want to give it away but my one of my friends is like you know if you haven't worn something for a year you have to give it up I don't know what you, where you guys stand on this but um, I mean I I haven't, to... I've got t-shirts from when I was like 15. I, I can tell you now <laughs> Sonia, my clothing uh collection is out of hand um and I regularly don't wear things for a year <laughs> I found stuff in my cupboard I want to borrow your stay sexy uh, so, yeah it says uh it says um stay sexy don't get murdered it's from a podcast that I listen to um so, uh, but yeah my 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 clothing good advice yeah, my clothing collection is out of hand and I found things that I I've bought like several years ago that still got the tags in so I cannot be a person who says you should throw things away or give them away after a year because I, I find it so hard to get there rid of anything. <sighs> Don't worry. I think I need someone to just come and... Anyway, so usually <laughs> my choices are based on, look, am I getting laid? Usually that's a no, girls. So <laughs> if that's not the case, then it's like, well, I'd like to wear something different that I haven't worn regularly because you always do have those kind of dresses that you really like and you wear a lot, but you do, you've kind of probably worn them too much. But I do... I do get like how often too often is the answer but I do get these comments where people expect me to explain um my appearance or my choices um or or willfully take it the wrong way um girls if you're I'm single right how am I supposed to let guys know you know what I mean like I mean I don't know like everybody do you right I'm not telling you that you have to wear a skimpy outfit to get guys but like you know I'm single like I don't I don't know does that not make sense to people like do I not want to kind of attract the, the hottest guy so I don't know but um you want to look pretty just, you want to look good and if you want to have your shoulders out or whatever then so be it yeah, <laughs> yeah. you want to feel good and like it, it's not just always about like uh, a guy obviously it's just about like you know feeling good for yourself um so I do get a lot of, and, and the, the comments is on a spectrum. So you get the ones where, did you know you're not supposed to do that? Like, yeah, thank you. <laughs> or then you get the ones where it's like, um, you're <laughs> you're the devil's friend or something like that. So uh, you, there's a whole spectrum, girls. And uh, I don't engage. I said it in the book. I don't really like get into like online conversations with strangers just because yeah. as a kid, I was always encouraged against strangers. So I just don't see the benefit of it. And um 
I'm pretty certain that any kind of explanation I was to kind of um, conjure up wouldn't be wouldn't be okay. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I don't know. I feel like it's just weird where people expect so much from you. But I think you guys have probably had that as well, right? People expect a lot from you or maybe they uh, expect expect something from you depending on what, how you're dressed. I don't know. You probably do you guys get that as well. Yeah. I mean, we did an episode a while back, one of our first episodes on how women's clothing is placed. And we specifically didn't cover religious um, dress in that. Mm. But there's so many times where women in all situations are judged by what they're wearing or ex you're expected to wear a certain thing or expected specifically to not wear a certain thing. Mm. Or, you know, you shouldn't have a tattoo or you shouldn't have your hair cut in a certain way or whatever. Mm. And then add in the religion element as well. And it's just horrendous you know it's like you know they there you are as a as a muslim being told oh you know you're not supposed to do that it's like um that i think i know what what is and isn't allowed <laughs> and i've made a decision here yeah. um and uh yeah and it's and as you say it's everyone especially with women people have uh you know feel like they have some kind of right to comment on how we look at all times mm um and yeah and and you add something in that they don't understand and it just makes it worse and look I've been even questioned by people who know me who are like you know well don't you think that you're gonna like don't you just why don't you make a choice like why don't you just take your hijab off um and uh it's it's just something that I've worn for like quite a long time and part of my life really and so it's difficult when you do something for yourself and then it's kind of taken away to have meaning for other people. Like, of course, I'm not probably the world's best hijabi. I'm not going to ever claim to be. But um, I guess I, I don't think I ever expected I would be, really. Mm. Um, I don't know. It's, it's, it's really complicated, as you said, the way But that, you're doing um, what's right for you, right? Yeah, I don't... Like, yeah, I'm definitely not trying to kind of hurt anybody or... Um, give the wrong impression I think it it's two things right people will take things how they will take things and then also there's the public self and a private self so publicly I may look one way but privately you don't know me so you're judging just an external version of me um and uh you don't know a person's entirety um I've said it before that there's women who, Muslim women who don't wear hijab, who are like far better practicing than me. Um, so there's a lot more to it than just your attire. Um, the attire is uh, kind of a, it, it, it kind of means a lot to certain people. But I, I know that like, um, I don't know so much now, but I know that before I wore the hijab, I felt like I was a better Muslim, right? I just, I don't, <laughs> it's really weird, right? Because you don't expect that at all. But I don't know why I guess it's just I was involved in uh, thinking and reading a little bit more about faith um, and it felt a very personal endeavor whereas I think when I took it off I'm sorry when I put it on <laughs> when I put it on it felt like so many people were just so happy and gushing over it and it felt like I was something that kind of matched their expectations mm. and then so it almost made me a little not complacent but just made it like I was already the end result where we're, we're all on a journey right so I wasn't really prepared for that I, I really wasn't and my faith really means a lot to me um I wouldn't probably be here if it wasn't for my faith right so it means a lot but it 
there's still the experience in the hijab and and it, you know it doesn't it's not what you're not prepared for it first of all like you don't know what it's going to be like in a non-muslim country wearing it um where you know some people understand it some people don't some people ignore it some people don't um you have nothing prepares you for wearing it and then on top of that like you your relationship with it is is something that you're going to have to like be mindful of and there'll be times where you know you know how do you navigate going to the hairdresser girls because <laughs> you've got to take it off to get your hair cut and then do you put it back on do you have to go to a women's only hairdresser do you have to go to a little cubicle in a mixed hairdressers like there's things that you have to think about that you didn't think about when you committed to wearing it first world problems girls mm. What do you girls do when you go to the hairdresser? I'm joking, obviously. <laughs> no, but you're like, no, we're talking about hair. So like, obviously we have our hair like not covered. And yeah. um, my, I, I've been at work and I've been like, oh, I think I might get my hair cut. So I grew it out for the wedding. Um, I got married last year. So I grew it out for the wedding. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. Um, and uh, I kind of grew it out because I kind of believed like it was going to be the best thing for the day. They could do more with the hair that, you know, gave it, it could go up or it could go down sort of thing. Um, but then I, I really ha- I had a bob, you know, a few years back and I loved my bob and, um, I kind of mentioned it at work that I was going to get my hair cut back to being a bob again. And so many of my male colleagues were like, no, don't do that. Don't do that. Like, you know, you look really great with long hair. And I was like, okay, fine. Um, when I got my hair cut anyway, half the fuckers, <laughs> half the fuckers didn't even notice. And so I of also, did I also They'd think, do. just like do what <laughs> you want to do. And I think that like everyone's always going to have an opinion. And I know mine's, you know, mine's really, you know, silly. But I just also find that it's just that people seem to want to put their opinions on you and then expect you to live your life by that opinion, um, rather than you recognizing something that either brings you joy or again, you know, like. A, uh, reaffirms your faith or makes you feel like a closer part of your community those sort of things like why shouldn't you then lean into that a bit more if that's kind of the the sentiments you're getting I don't know it's just I find it fascinating how much people care and I think my biggest concern is like you know again a comment about my hair in the office is very very different to someone being described as a terrorist because they're wearing a particular item of clothing and I think that's where the danger of this comes from is like Mm. some opinions are really just throwaway comments where others really actually had tangible impact in the real world and you definitely mentioned an operative word yeah you know because it's um I think it's obviously what it's symbolizing and I think it's also just because like bar podcasts like yours, right? We're not able to where are we able to have conversations like these where where we're not going to like have a witch hunt if someone says something that doesn't align with our beliefs or values, but where you can just kind of grow understanding because look, I don't mind like if someone doesn't understand something, you may as well say it and then we'll have a conversation, but like it just doesn't feel like as a society that we we are empowered to be able to kind of not know, which is, I think, really sad place to be, to be honest with you. That's what I love about comedy is that you get to be a bit stupid and you get to kind of explore that kind of um, world a little bit. There's so there's so small expectations, right? But um, in general, like people are really, really minding their P's and Q's and um, having to be careful all the time. And yeah, I don't know. I think it's sad when when you kind of I think there's a real mix isn't there yeah there's a real mix like you said so obviously there's people being really worried about asking the questions um, because Mm. they don't want to offend anyone and they're worried that they're ignorant about it but also that people put 
assumptions you know they make make presumptions about people and what these things mean and then have and then judge them off the back of that so one of the things you say in your book is you know you didn't your family didn't wear I no. think this is right that um, yes. very few people in your family wore hijabs mm-hmm. um you you start, started wearing it quite a bit later so actually there was no pressure to wear it there was no like you you have to cover your hair whereas there are a lot of people that would be would see it as a sign of oppression and and so they put these assumptions on people and again as Ellie said you know that's that's a slightly different assumption to the you know the terrorist side of things but you know it's it's it has that knock-on effect these assumptions that people have and like you say it's just like just ask just if if you are interested it's okay as long as you go don't don't you know come in being horrible and and you know whatever but it it's okay not to know yeah but where they've not felt entitled to ask for so long that's when it does turn into something horrible because by the time they get out of their throat yeah they're so bitter or mm. fucking vexed that it comes out very messy and um you know I, I don't mm. know I don't know what to say I'd rather people just don't kind of carry things but um yeah, there can be insensitivity with uh, with uh, a bit of ignorance. And look, everybody's entitled to their view. But I guess because we live in a time where people aren't able to articulate those views, that's where the kind of um, frustration is creeps creeps in. Um, mm. I think it's really beautiful. But all I can see is that there's a lot of diversity within the same groups like Muslim women. There's all sorts of different like backgrounds and um, ways of uh looking or or kind of practicing and and just being and so um that's the frustration really is that we're all kind of compartmental we're all it's all it's the that's the frustration is that we're all kind of seen to be uh like basically the same when when like like a homogenous group exactly so and i don't know if you feel like that as white women or if you feel like there's enough of a um, nuance in the way that you're, uh, uh, what do you call it, portrayed or, or perceived? I don't know. I think it's tricky as well because sometimes as a comedian, you just want to throw a whole group under the bus. You know what I mean? It'd be very easy <laughs> to be like, white women are ex, but then most of the white women are really nice. You just have the odd ones, which um, I don't know. They play games and stuff like that. Like. I was on that show uh, that Ellie said I was on Sunday Morning Live and it just was basically an argument with a white woman it was like oh my god do we have to be arguing on Sunday Morning Live Um, but then you can't generalise because like most people are really nice like really 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 like I think it's just that the things that divide us or, or make us different seem to be played upon significantly mm. um and it's a shame because most of us aren't even thinking about those things a lot of the time and we're able to see past them yeah. You know, and I think we've always been trying to be quite careful here. Like we talk a lot about um, like issues that women face. And again, like there is a that is multi-layered, like in a lot of the experiences that Rhianne and I bring up are from two white women from the south of England. And that is a very specific class of of women. And actually, Rhianne and I would have different experiences, but on the whole, probably have a lot of similarities. But we acknowledge that, you know, our experiences are really one in a million, right? There are people who would have shared like so many different layers um, of criticism or approvals or privilege that, you know, we would just never have touched or seen or, you know, maybe we do share commonalities with. Um, But I just, you know, I also recognise my privilege a lot. I, I am a white, you know, middle class, educated woman. Um, 
and I kind of feel sometimes like that gives me an edge in terms of the spaces that I'm in. I, it definitely draws criticism, but I do also find that today we're often, you know, people feel they have to make space for us a little bit. But then I look to, you know, friends of mine and colleagues of mine and they're not being treated the same way that I am. And so I recognise still that, you know, just because I may have a little step forward um, because of some of the progress made before I arrived on the planet, um, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's kind of we've succeeded for everyone. And as you said, you know, I just don't think people often give people the benefit of the doubt and they're grouped really easily. And again, I know that we we talk about men a lot on this podcast and we tried, to, you know, it's not all men. We know it's not all men. Um but it's, you know, it's really tricky when you've had really awful experiences with certain people or, you know, the stats are showing like 75% up. It's, you know, you do end up having, you generalise more than perhaps you want to. Um, whilst also, tr- it's tricky, you know, you're trying to address these conversations, but you don't want to spend the whole time going, not all people and like, you know, the little asterisks and like everything <laughs> you're saying. So like sometimes it's trying to, how do you have this conversation in a way that is, it flows and people can kind of get on board of it rather than, you know, constantly having to stop start um, to explain what you do and don't mean. And actually, I think your footnotes in, in the book were really great because it kind of gave people the opportunity to dip in and out if they needed to, if they wanted that little extra explanation um, whilst kind of keeping the story going. So yeah I think one of the things that I think is detrimental is that we have like these social causes but they seem to start and then never end so like there'll be like these bandwagons and then like it'll be like a temporary momentum and then like they lose a lot of traction or suddenly it's old news and so I think that's what's really hard is that things mean a lot to people um but then there's never any like conclusion or you know you never really resolve it and then there's all of these different plates that spinning um and then you know I think social media is a great illustration of that like Twitter which I don't I'm definitely not on as much as I used to be where like millions of people have different conversations all all by themselves and so we're all really like wonderful smart people and creatures but it's just why don't we just fix one thing at a time we don't ever we never kind of fix it like equal pay like why why are we why don't we have that and then like if we did that would be great like let's move on let's do the next issue but like it's never like that so it's just a whole bunch of just cascading shit yeah and I, part of me thinks the reason we don't do it bit by bit is because they don't want to give us an inch because they're scared that we'll uh We'll take the whole I feel like, back. yeah, I think as soon as we're together, there's yeah. so much strength in division. And that's what I think is like this country is so divided about everything, like yeah. from whatever. It's like 52, 48 across the board. And so as soon as like as long as we don't agree with each other and just find the small things to kind of fall out on, we'll never be together where then we could actually make change because the difference we can make in each other's life is is infinite, mm. really. So just keep people afraid not to have a conversation, keep people away from each other, you know, separate. Um, and yeah, it's just a shame because you can really see the change that could could po- could be possible. And on that cheery note, um... <laughs> <laughs> on that cheery note, I was thinking on that cheery note, I wonder if we should talk about sex. Let's do it. Because your book is a lot. Yeah, your book is, um, there's a lot about sex. Obviously, it's in the title. It's called Sex Bomb. Um, and you cover it at various stages through the book, talking, starting with sort of um, what you saw, um, what you understood as se- about sex as as like a teenager and how you, as you said earlier, like you didn't know what sex was, but you knew you wanted it. You talk a bit about arranged marriage and what, what kind of part that has to play in mm-hmm. both Islam, but also in um in when it comes to sex and so I don't really know where to begin on on 
on talking about sex and you um uh, where do you oh Ellie does yeah the first point why did you stick away like around with Ray J so fucking long I was like yeah like and there was a bit where you start your chat to be like sorry sorry readers it's like you did yeah we deserve a fucking apology why are you still with this guy he's cheating oh you like God. shit for did so you, long did you miss the point in the book where I said he had a six pack now <laughs> it's not look, worth it Sadia it's not worth it it wasn't it wasn't at all but the thing is is that I think I think you know what I'm an idiot. First of all, you're because... not an, you're not an idiot. I I promise you. Like we've all I I was a lost puppy for a particular guy. Thank fuck he like he broke my heart before I was like oh, in deep sorry, deep. Eddie. But oh no, don't no. This is the thing. It's all part of guys are trash. No, I'm joking. <laughs> I, you didn't hear me say that, guys. I love you so much. No, I'm joking. Um, not all men. There's a thin line between love and hate. I think. Look. I, you know when something at the beginning is so good and then it just never lived up to anything? So, like, our first kiss, oh, my God, fireworks. And then you're like, this can only get better. And it didn't. It, like, literally never, ever lived up to the beginning. But I think, like, Lost Puppy is a great analogy. And that's very much how I felt. And I think, I think I don't know. I guess I never pro- did a lot of processing in terms of what I, what, what, I wanted versus like what this could be there was a lot of acceptance of um uh very very average uh sex and and um chat <laughs> the chat was even worse than that but like that's the thing of... that would have pissed me off like I'm chatty <laughs> I I need some decent chat <laughs> yeah but I think you know what for me I'm not gonna even joke like the, looking back writing it and all that like there was clearly a lack of um self-worth that that could have helped me if I had just kind of woken up sooner and been like look um he's been given countless opportunities to kind of um try better or or kind of show show his kind of um commitment and that's just not forthcoming like it's not cool to force and so one of the things I I made a point of doing in the book was was showing my flaws because I didn't want it to be easy to be like blame him 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 I mean it's it's great that you can see like you know there's failings both sides because um I just accepted bad behavior and I mm. think rather than constructively dealing with a relationship I let it take its toll on me and kind of um make me yeah demoralize me and then once you're weaker when your spirit is weaker then I think it's like um you you lose that kind of fire and that will to kind of have better and do better for yourself and so slowly slowly it kind of it happened and like you know from not getting a birthday text to to just being told five minutes oh I'm outside I don't wanna, you know so it's like if you don't like have basic standards for yourself which I, I don't think I did in that relationship um you kind of like just keep settling and settling until like you know you're really struggling and um it's hard to then break out of it because I think as humans like we're creatures of habits and um you kind of sometimes get used to like poor treatment and then if you don't love yourself it's like a real vicious cycle and then it's got to get to a really bad point for you to kind of then just somehow even break out of it or um hopefully somebody else comes along which didn't happen yeah but I also think you were heavily critical of yourself I think I, I even wrote <laughs> I got like this is I got your um, I printed it I literally wrote what the fuck in like ch- your last chapter <laughs> chapter 27 <laughs> 
god. Uh, two, uh, 260, I wrote. What the fuck? <laughs> and it was when RJ wanted sex and came knocking on my door a few weeks later. And I don't, again, yeah. am I allowed to reveal, like... Fr- yeah, 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 you can, yes. So, like, a few weeks later after you having an abortion, which was his child, and you wrote several times, and again, I wrote what the fuck a few times here, saying you were like, <laughs> it was a problem that I created. I let the situation happen. And you've got, you made a reference to the fact that he whispered in your ear, I've come in you. And I just feel like part of me was just screaming, going like, you know, what the fuck? Like, why is it that men feel that they can do that to someone? Like, because he's fully aware of what that happens. But it sounds like he's got his kid, he's got a kid already. So he's fully mm. aware of like what the what could happen to that, the consequence. But he's prepared to put you under that knowing, because you referenced it earlier, that you don't use contraception because of mm-hmm. whatever. Uh, was it religious reasons or was it just a no, choice? No, no, no. It was, um, he, he always pulled out basically, um, which so, is, we all know is, you know, fine, it works occasionally, but it's, it's a very unsafe It's very method. risky, yeah. You know, listen to Ellie, because my doctor already told me, he said <laughs> it, only takes, it only takes like a little bit. And sorry, that's so gross, but like, it really is, yeah. it's not, it's, it's not smart moves not, at all. And you wrote in here, like Ray J's words echoed in my head. If you have a baby, you raise it yourself. You don't enlist babysitters. That's not what real mums do. Well, where the fuck was he in that? Like, where is he taking responsibility for this? And I was honest, I was so <laughs> angry for you because, like, I get it. Like, I, I appreciate you're trying to balance out your story, but he's not a nice person. And you put so much responsibility on yourself during that mm. chapter about you should have done better. You shouldn't have put yourself in that position. Like, you should have used contraception and, you know, so on and so forth. And I just feel like, where the, like, it takes two to fucking tango, right? And, <laughs> like, I just, honestly, I think perhaps you were a little bit sympathetic towards him at bits or more, I think, more. You put yourself down a lot more than I have. Think you tried you to. stand up, Ellie, because oh. this rant is a gold. Mate, I was, I, like, <laughs> I, I, I just wrote so many. <laughs> either stand up or teacher. I feel, I feel certainly taken to task, but much needed, much needed. Rihanna, sorry, you were going to say yeah, something. Yeah, sorry, Rihanna. No, 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 it's fine. No, honestly, it's fine. I was about to say, I think this, this, all of this will probably resonate with a lot of people. So a lot of people get into, especially your first relationship or your first couple of relationships and you get into these situations where you haven't really discussed what you do and don't want you haven't discussed like what your Mm. boundaries are you don't really know what sex you enjoy yet and so you go along with stuff that maybe you're not sure about and then you've done it once and you feel like you have to carry on doing it or you don't know how to communicate with each other and say I'm not happy with the thing you're doing it both in terms of the bedroom and out of like there's something you've done that's upset me and and it's not until you're out of it that you go what the fuck was I doing um and then you realize when the next relationship does come along okay well here are the things that I will and won't accept here are the things that I will and won't do and here are all the reasons why this guy was a dick or, or girl you know whoever when it comes to a relationship you know these people were awful um and 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 as Ali said you know I, I think I, I kind of hope that writing your book will have kind of made you go it was you know like you said it was there was who who's tango and stuff and that he was a dick and the next time you're in a relationship he, you'll go these are things I will not accept um but yeah oh, I, I just think it, I think all of this last week, girls. no Sadia I tell you what RJ, if you're out there fucking do one we are <laughs> we, we're gonna we're gonna stand at your door and be like no just no. Yeah. <laughs> okay, of course, Sadia, it's your oh, choice. I'll listen to choice. this episode if I ever feel myself um, waning. 
Oh, this is like, and again, Rhiannon's absolutely right. I've been in that boat ride. I went back to a guy who's treating me like shit. You know, he wouldn't let me meet his family. He always had to meet me outside. And it was always like, oh, yeah, you know, like, always keeps it's you at like, arm's length from that for it. And then he bucks off for a weekend, comes back again to our house party. So like, I'm one of four kids. We always had house parties at um, Halloween. He goes to our house party, broke up with me in the toilet upstairs. <gasps> and basically was like, oh yeah, I love this other girl. And in that moment, I was like, yeah, well, I didn't care anyway. I fuck it. I cared a lot. Like I was like, I was head over heels with this guy. Oh no, he sounds like a bit of a narcissist. He was a bit of a narcissist. And then I went to visit a friend of mine in university and he happened to be attending the same university. And I went back to his bedroom and we were kissing in bed. And then he went, I love you. And I went to fuck. And I said, but are you not still with this other person? I'm not going to name her for... It's all about her. It's about him. Um, and I said, you know, but do you not still love X? And he went, well, yeah. And I went, fuck you. You don't get Mm-mm. both of us. And literally it took that for me to get, like, to get out of that bedroom and walk away. And I love your resolve. Well, yeah, it took, it took three years to get there, right? And me kind of pining over him and, you know, he changed his mind and all that stuff. And you look back and you're like, oh, my God, how desperate was I? And again, like, you you know, every time I knew he'd be around the house or whatever, I'd dress slightly differently or I'd try and, like, present myself in a way to win him back over whatever nonsense we did. Um, so it is, you know... It's very honest of you. And I think <laughs> that is... That is sexy to me. So that's another thing about sexiness is that sexiness is what feels good for you. Like it's like there's all, all a lot of um, expectations or something, you know, these magazines, they try and sell sex and, and control it mm. so that it's because it's powerful. Right. And so they control both accessing it and, and kind of what it means and all those things. But for me, like if you're in your T-shirt at home, and you feel comfortable, that's very sexy. And like, yeah, just even your resolve there that you showed that you know that self-worth like that's for me very very hot thank you I will take that I like <laughs> I'm liking this I'll I will revisit this podcast when I'm having a down moment oh <laughs> um but you know like I just I just found it incredibly self-reflective but also um again just really heartbreaking bits of this you know you wrote here uh it showed my self my lack of self-worth as I considered Ray J and his treatment of me was all I deserved and I think this is a feeling many Asian women go through we are not conditioned to believe we are worthy of love instead we are told we are worthy of duty hard work and silent resolve also as a Muslim woman in the way I was brought up my sexuality shouldn't have been my own it belonged to men so I misunderstood this fling as an equivalent of empowerment and Mm. for me I mean such powerful words you are an incredible writer as well as as a comedian but also i think that even even though i didn't take any cocaine <laughs> cocaine's not everything okay <laughs> um, um maybe sprinkled on a hot dog so the thing is, um, the thing is, had you taken cocaine you would have had the chance to dance with patrick swayze that's that's the link that's the link that we yeah. we've missed oh it's the cocaine God. equals See, patrick swayze <laughs> But, Jennifer Grey's not dead, is she? Uh, no, no. But also, no. can we? I just, I don't actually a hundred. Like, just for like time out, I don't actually know if Jennifer Grey took the coke. I just know there was a lot of coke in her biography. Oh. So let's like, it might not have been her on the coke. I can't quite remember. There was just a lot of coke okay, for legal reasons. For legal reasons, <laughs> Jennifer Grey may not have been one on the coke. Um, but no, and I, I think like that that paragraph that I just read out has now been sidemarked by uh, by coke. Is um. <laughs> It kind of, again, it made me sad because you spoke about your mum a lot in this, and you know mm-hmm. the treatment of your mum. And again, I'm not, I'm not going to blame your dad. He's obviously responsible for a lot of the, you know, the things that happened. And obviously, he chose to go marry someone else as well. But I think he's also from a religion and a culture where that is actually acceptable. So for him, he probably saw there was nothing wrong with that. And I think it was 
either somewhere in this book or I was listening to a podcast. I think you were uh, actually I was listening to a podcast that you um, you had a lady on called Aisha and you were talking to her about the fact that she was actually a second wife um, in one of these marriages. I, I know exactly. You're talking about the penultimate episode. No, you're talking about the series two of No Country for Young Women, where I did a solo episode and I was talking to a woman who I think she... I think she either, I can't remember, but she was based in Bradford. And I don't know if she was a second wife or knew someone. Was no, talking about she was a second story. wife. Oh, she was a second and wife. And she so didn't know she was a second wife until she was a second Some of these guys, wife. exactly. These guys don't declare it. Yeah. Now, that's not, I don't think that that's um, legitimate in my eyes. I think, um, I think there's like rules and then like pushing the rules or, or breaking the rules. Mm. And um, I think basically you have to treat, in Islam, you're allowed to have men are allowed to have up to four wives, and you're meant to treat them quite unquote equally. Yeah. Now, if you're not able to do that, you're not really meant to embark upon it. Um, and I don't think the 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 complication is where you know it's one thing informing, another thing getting permission. Now, maybe they don't feel that they need to get permission, but on the, at the very least, you can bloody do is let someone if and know. Hundred percent. And if that's not happening, then I think, yeah, you're as a female, like this situation is being forced upon you. And then like, you know, if you haven't had much dating experience and then all of a sudden you you have no idea about what you can or can't do, your kind of parameters, can you leave a relationship, you know, and you need to kind of then... I suppose a lot of Muslim women who are very traditional probably might go and enlist advice from the Sharia Council. Um, And I think that there's, you know, work that still needs to be done to to try and support women as opposed to just um, do things in a way that, and I'm I'm just like, this is just my views. I haven't really researched them or anything, but it's like, Mm -hmm. you know, trying your best to kind of be balanced, uh, you know, is, is, would be my thing. Yeah. I also think it's really telling that, certain cultures believe that a man can equally divide his time between four wives it kind of suggests how little they think that man should be doing in these relationships to be able to divide his time four ways and I know you wrote in your book about the fact that your dad tried to bring in some sort of rota perhaps to give the illusion of like equality but the stories that you were saying about you know the fact that your mum attempted suicide a few times and she was like quite outwardly anxious and stressed and you know responding quite negatively to this like to the situation your dad kind of ignored that and for those reasons I think he's a bit of an arsehole mm. I'm really sorry for saying that <laughs> no, don't worry but you know he, he caused this situation and and you know kind of just left your mum and yourself to pick up the pieces so whilst it's an acceptable practice within his faith you know there's still a responsibility that he has towards his wife and his child to make sure that he's not abusing that situation mm. and it seemed that he kind of gave up on that quite quickly after falling more in love with his second wife And that's not to say this doesn't happen in Western culture where there's only one man and one wife. We just usually see that that situation ends in a divorce or suddenly a separation. So like it still happens that people move on or that they expect to be able to have multiple people in their in their lives um, concurrently. And actually, according to a 2019 YouGov survey, 7% of UK adults said that they've been in a consensual, non-monogamous relationship at some point in their lives. So this isn't restricted to just islamic faith you know there are people within the uk doing this at their own discretion i think ultimately it comes down to respect consent and an absence of abuse in these in these relationships um 
I also, you know, find it very easy to look at the situation through the lens of a Western woman who grew up in a Christian country. And so my gut would be saying, oh my goodness, this is wrong. We shouldn't be having multiple wives because what I'm used to is, is just one man, one wife. But even that system, our system has its mm-hmm. flaws, right? You know, a lot of the the vows that we're meant to say in church is that we will obey our husbands no matter what. So there's, <laughs> it's, you know, it's problematic in our system too. Um, but what I found interesting, I was talking to a friend of mine about this particular chapter and she said, you know, Ellie, are you aware that I had an arranged marriage? And I said, no, I had no idea. And she said, yep, she is uh, from Pakistan. She made it known to her parents that she was ready to to marry. They found somebody, um, introduced her. And what was interesting, she goes, she doesn't like using the phrase arranged marriage. She prefers the phrase marriage by introduction. And she quite rightly made the point, like, how is that any different to a friend introducing you to another friend, right? Um, there's just obviously a bit more structure about it, um, around it in, in her culture. And I asked her, you know, when it comes to her daughters, would she arrange their marriages for them or do introductions? And she said she'd rather her daughters found found their partners on their own and, and married who, the, who they wanted. Um, so that was interesting that obviously she's accepted that that was something that happened to her, but she doesn't want to pass that on. Um, but having had that conversation with with my friend, it kind of, it just, it highlights the fact that like, n- like no system's perfect. You know, she is now in this loving relationship. They both respect each other. They both have gone on to have successful careers and a loving family. So, you know, in the, in the eyes of, um, in the eyes of love, you know, that that's, that's a success, despite the fact it was arranged by introduction, which a lot of people would criticize. And actually, if you then look at the divorce rates within Western communities, you would say, well, people finding love on their own isn't exactly a recipe for success. So I feel that there isn't one rule fits all, right? And we should keep having these conversations. And that's exactly what your book's done. That's what your podcast done and, and a lot of your comedy um, I've done a yeah. lot of research and it's really um, surprising actually when just to kind of for my own personal interest and like you know it's it's about 50-50 like the, the kind of 50% love marriages and 50% marriage by arrangement or sorry in, introduction or arranged marriages so it's um, I don't know it sometimes kind of arranged marriages can be a bit more popular but um Sometimes it's like you always look at the grass is always green on the other side, you know, like when it hasn't happened for you, you wonder like, oh, if I had maybe gone down a more traditional route, would I be settled? Um, But you know yourself, right? And I'm very kind of, um, I don't know if opinionated is fair, but I'm a very talkative person and like, does that fit in with that kind of model as such? Um, And then, you know, like you said, the fireworks may not always be present in the um, kind of arrangement, but then like you have other things so it depends really just on the arranged marriages the way again the way you talk about it in the book I found really interesting and helpful as someone who has only ever sort of seen it seen it on telly um and you know (laughs) this sort of arrangement by um marriage by introduction and you know and also that you draw the comparison between sort of the aristocracy in forever in Britain the where you know you introduced to a, a wealthy man and you, you're expected that you're going to get married you know um but the 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 other thing you know you say maybe there won't be fireworks and you worry about that and all that kind of stuff but actually you know in a lot of relationships either the fireworks aren't there at the beginning 
or they disappear quite quickly or you know so you never really know what's going to happen um but again i think people have very different you know opinions have opinions about arranged marriages or marriage by introduction and what that looks like um but ultimately again it just depends what you what you uh you know what you want is your choice um there's also yeah. a difference between an arranged marriage and a forced marriage and i think too many people believe that an arranged marriage is the same thing. And I think my friend's phrasing around marriage by introduction helps create a greater divide between those two because marriage by introduction or an arranged marriage often has the consent of both parties, whereas a forced marriage generally either doesn't have the consent of one or both of the parties and can often include a non-legally binding ceremony. So whilst I'll put my hands up and say, I don't know everything about this subject, my gut is saying arranged marriage deserves like a conversation whereas forced marriage I'm really anti it's very yeah um so you should because <laughs> why would someone want to spend the rest of their life like you know against their will as such and it can happen on both sides like forced marriage can happen to men and women um or or the the one marriage could be forced on both sides um but again it does feel like because we're not allowed to have the conversation, there's a lot of like reticence about this taking place. And it's, I think sometimes um, over, uh, what's the word? I think people kind of think that it's happening more than it, more than it is in this country anyway, um, because people don't feel like they can ask. So it's a very strange way of kind of like, I don't know. We we don't seem like very integrated, if that makes sense. Like the different kind of intercultures don't feel like there's a lot of boundaries in place. And, and I think it would be better if we could just be a bit more open. But there's there's guardedness on maybe both sides. Hmm. Yeah. 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 Um, something that you um, something that you mentioned uh, was um, that as uh, I think you said something like as as uh, a Muslim woman you never got to learn that you got to have sex for pleasure and um, mm. we actually just last week um, spoke with a sex therapist um, and we were talking about how um, as uh, just generally we don't learn women don't learn about having sex mm. for pleasure and certainly in sex education for girls you don't learn about sex for pleasure do you think that um, like I don't know oh sorry, my dog's just decided that it's time that to so have funny. a little little bark um <laughs> Do you think, um, like you, you, I don't quite know how to phrase it. When you know you talk about um, going into relationships uh, or like dating or whatever as a Muslim woman who wears a hijab, and like the expectations that come with that, is one of those things, or do you think it's changing that that sex is somehow not supposed to be pleasurable for you, or like what what do you does that make sense? Yeah, no, I totally understand. Like, what is you're there saying. a change in perception about the way, yeah, about the way you're supposed to enjoy sex, having been brought up the way you have? I think that, like, again, going back to my earlier point, that I've never felt like, I've never felt like I, um, I've always enjoyed sex. To be honest with you, even when I wasn't having it, like, I never, I never felt like I was taught about sex one way or the other. So I wasn't taught the kind of things technical things or I wasn't taught one way or another there was a there was an inherent um assumption that don't get pregnant but it wasn't like yeah I, I guess either way I wasn't really taught much about it and I stayed away from the topic because I didn't want like my parents to think that it was time to get her married type of thing so 
yeah, I guess, again, going back to looking at things from both sides that, you know, mm. I didn't bring it up, but neither did they. Um, mm. I think in terms of women enjoying sex, I think it's something that we're going to have to, like, continually keep um, taking, uh, you know, ownership of. Like, um, it is nice to be able to be there for your partner, but if you're not there for yourself, um I don't think it's a good relationship to be in if um, it's one-sided or if they're getting off on you not getting off. I don't think that's a good kind of like, and I know that I'm in a position of privilege or even luxury to be able to say that. And I know that it's probably not that straightforward um, because if you're already in that type of relationship, getting out of it might not be very easy, but um, that we do have to take, um, we basically have to kind of like, enjoy it for ourselves as well um Mm. and yeah that's really really important and I think it's like um it's 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 not that straightforward but you kind of can can learn it as you go ahead so it's not just about it is about hopefully having a partner who does give you all of those things and makes you feel comfortable um but trying to get to the point where you know those are important kind of characteristics for yourself as well because um you don't know what journey that person's on and they may only have so far of an understanding of physical into physical intimacy with up with their partners you know so you can't be there to fill in the gaps or they can't fill in gaps for you so you it is an important thing that we've got to kind of assert uh in ourselves and um trust me it works out really well as soon as you are enjoying yourself um it's pleasurable all around and it's not just for that but I think um you know sometimes I think acting like you don't know uh what you're doing um kind of can can mean that you're a certain type of girl which is sometimes what men kind of uh you know it's an image that certain men may may kind of favor but I I don't think that that's the type of you know to be honest with you we all have insecurities but that feels very insecure to me so I think um I just try and be mindful of that I think it's good to kind of you you can be really vulnerable in sex and I think it's good if you can um but then you know it has to be a good person that you trust that you can be so vulnerable with Hmm. again i found it so sad that you never got a hug at the end of it (laughs) and that rj just fucked off i'm just like for god's sake like and there was um (laughs) oh like i've heard that like some people have never heard the words i love you during sex and and never had that kind of intimacy and it's always been like wham bam thank you ma'am and like they're out the door again and you know, again, everything you've just said, it's as much about pleasing your partner as it is about prioritising your own pleasure. Mm. Um, but also having that kind of intimacy and not treating it as just, you know, like you're having sex with an object, like you're actually having sex with a person and like there's going to be some feelings at the end of that. And let me Ray give J, the girl a hug. I think Ray J was a... Uh, well, I didn't realise um, that this phrase even existed when I was writing the book. But since then, I've done a bit of reading and he was like an intimacy avoidant. Um, I didn't realize, I didn't even know that that was a concept, but that kind of Mm. helped me so much to know that it was just never going to be in his vocab to hug or to, um, I don't know, be a guy, which is, you know, such a kind of loaded kind of phrase in itself. But yeah, there's some guys that I guess haven't done a lot of kind of self-work, maybe if that's the phrase, or, or feel like, 
yeah, he was, I, I think, an alpha male. And so he probably had some... Oh, I don't know. I, I really hate the word alpha male. I think it's overused by the manosphere communities to try and, like, pit each other against each other. Like, who's more manly than the other person when it literally means nothing? It's just a made-up term. Categorising, yeah. Yeah, categorising, but for me, in the most toxic way possible. And I think even if you buy into the alpha male concept... Ray J isn't that. He doesn't own any of his decisions. He spends his life completely repressing any kind of emotions. He blames you for getting pregnant and takes no responsibility for his actions. Like No, but I mean, that's what I mean. Like being a guy's guy, like trying to be like, you know, like just trying to be hard all the time and not like trying to, not trying to just accept that there's feelings there or yeah, blocking out kind of... um blocking out anything that makes him a bit vulnerable I think like just trying to be a hard guy like all the time and it was just I don't know I didn't I don't think I understood that concept um and I and now you know sometimes we have a type right so but I think it (laughs) rings alarm bells now when I see anything remotely similar going forward I'm like oh he might be like that that's not gonna be for me (laughs) because like you know it's um also people show you so many different sides of them and so it can be really hard to kind of like understand who they are, like really who they are. And then putting that together, um, seeing what is there versus what you want to see. And that's mm. that's something that, you know, um, I think it's good with age. Like I'm, you, you kind of just, I, I, I'm seeing through certain lies that maybe before I would have just accepted or, you know, just kind of lived through. But mm-hmm. now it's just like, you don't want to keep making mistakes, right? Because it's, you know, you've been, you've been there, done that. So um, yeah, definitely trying to be a bit wiser. Um, And yeah, I also talked about how I used to kind of equate sex and love is the same thing. And that's definitely not the same thing, guys, if if you didn't know. So I definitely kind of um, romanticizing sex less, even though sex Mm. in sex and romance together is like, amazing but like romanticizing it less and like sure it would be fun but um you know am I is this what I'm really looking for right now or am I capable of just letting go because I like to have like emotions involved and so if I'm not if I'm not able to kind of untangle both of them or have it you know basically go along with what is actually on offer then it's probably not fun that's worth the price also how sad for no, Ray yeah, J that so... he felt the need to always be like performing mm. to, to to someone else to like probably as you said you know we're trying to be the man's mm. man and you know not show emotion and not you know be vulnerable mm. like how how what's the word it's a bit shit um, really for him it's really it is a hundred percent so you know like like how is that in any way good for either party like you're getting a shit gig out of it and so is he like like I just don't get like that's why I kind of resent the term alpha male because I think it's just been made up by some bro sphere somewhere you know to make people feel like no I totally hear you I've never used it before I've never used it before but then like somebody that reminded me of him called himself it and I was like could that be it but I, I, I agree with you that it could be pretty stupid yes Rhiannon sorry no no it's absolutely fine I saw something on Instagram the other day that was someone who was saying all these people that you know say they're an alpha male um and in technology an alpha is like the first rubbish version of something and it's the the sort of the product (laughs) that you're not going to release 
um, and that even if it, it most of the time it doesn't work <laughs> but even if it does work it's not satisfying anyone or meeting any needs and so they were like so when Oof. someone next calls themselves an alpha say yes yes you are <laughs> just <laughs> that's funny, I quite liked man. that going back to the situation with your with your with your mum and your dad so I wrote here that you know it kind of felt like your dad wanted to have his cake and eat it right so there was a little bit of um him saying like he was going to do this regardless of kind of the effect it had on your mum but I did find it really interesting again that you know you seem to feel quite uh what's the word um you felt oh what's it when you you got two two options and and conflicted you seem to feel quite conflicted about the fact that you know you were living within the UK you knew that this sort of marriage wasn't legal and so you were a bit concerned that you know your dad might get in trouble like legally Mm. um but at the same time you were also then weighing up your mom's mental health and you were seeing kind of what was going on there and so it kind of felt like you felt that your dad needed your support almost you know as much if not a little bit more than your mum because you were scared that he was actually going to have to face consequences for the decision he made within a within a country that didn't recognize this um and again it just it makes me I, I, lots of what i was reading through this you seem to empathize with men a lot and you seem to feel the need to kind of put them a little bit ahead of yourself or in this case your mum and i just wondered mm. if, if you saw yourself doing that did you do you spot yourself doing that um to be honest with you uh that's a really insightful observation and i think <laughs> not to blame my mum no. but um i think i think like a there was a i guess that he was a big part of the family so i think it was like trying to like you know protect the family seems like a bit of a, a difficult phrase to kind of stomach for myself but i guess there was like it is really hard when there's like um split loyalties or divided loyalties is the phrase because like um she she there wasn't animosity in their relationship mm. it was just his poor form um to put it mildly and I was really young and I was growing up in all of this mm. and um, I didn't even have a relationship of my own, let alone having to kind of micromanage or that's the wrong phrase, but I didn't even have a relationship of my own, let alone trying to understand like a really complicated marital situation mm. um, that's not British, um, which I was. And so, yeah. it, you know, I definitely didn't make the right judgments and I wish somehow I had known earlier that I had a bit more autonomy um, as to what I could and couldn't kind of um, support or advocate but again I think where we weren't able to talk to anybody about it it was very difficult to have somebody show you a different side of things which is why this book is so important so if anybody's going through something of this nature if not this precisely they can see um, where the injustice happens or where there's a, mm. where, where kind of my mum obviously was um, exploited in a way or, or her rights were kind of trodden over. Mm. Um, you can kind of, but you need sometimes someone to help you to be like, you ain't being treated very well. The same way you were just talking to me about Ray J, you were like, you know, what the fuck, Sadia? You need someone to kind of like, be like, what are you putting up with? Mm. Um, without having that kind of, support or or even perspective it's just easy to kind of like or you sometimes you want to take the easier route which is just kind of like you know this sounds awful but grin and bear it it's one of the reasons that your book's so important in the in the 
you know it's hard to be the person who says what the fuck are you doing mm. um like we're very lucky mm-hmm. amongst the the four of us that started this podcast that we have that relationship together so if one of us is has said something that someone else thinks is out of order or we're being treated in a certain way someone else will say like let's talk about this and what the fuck's going on but not everyone has that because that's a really hard relationship to have um and so your book being able people being able to look at it and and say oh I d-, like you're you're that person for some people like you'll be the mm. the person saying what the hell are you doing shall we let's try and fix this um through the words in your book which is awesome yeah I completely agree with both of you and a really important passage um in your book Sadia that looked at depression in Pakistani communities. In particular, it was a UK study that looked at middle-aged Pakistani men and older Indian and Pakistani women. And it reported that they suffered significantly higher rates of depression and anxiety compared to similarly aged white people. And one of the reasons I bring that up is because you also then write about the fact that there's a superstitious belief that um, mental illness isn't a medical issue and is in fact something that you did in a previous life and so you're being punished for it now. And that's obviously such a heartbreaking belief to have. You also reference the fact that Asian society is often painstakingly brutal and unforgiven, particularly to older women. And after they've completed their work as the housekeeper, mother and carer for their children, they tend to be written off. And I'd say that is shared with British culture as well. I don't think that's just an Asian culture at all. And last and certainly not least, one of my favourite things you said um, or observation you made was around matrimonial vows being so final um, and you used the words there till death do us part. And you said that what you'd like to do is add a caveat that but if you dare to cheat or do me wrong, then you can get to fuck. (laughs) I think that's fabulous. (laughs) Love that. Yeah. Yeah, I think like what I'm trying to say here is, is this is an incredibly important piece of work Sadia and you really get to the heart of some very difficult conversations and I think that just by offering a different point of view to this hopefully people will stop and question some of the behaviours that they've experienced Um, so thank you for writing it and thank you also for coming on to the Unfair Sex podcast and sharing additional experiences and thoughts with us today it's been fantastic I've loved it thank you thank you we can't wait to get this episode out there's been a lot that's come from this so I don't know what I'll grab a glass of wine or grab a beverage is. Um, but Sadia, you did say uh, never accept bad sex. And I think that's a good tip for everybody. Uh, and finally, ask the questions. I think that's what we've learned today. Um, if you're curious about something and you want to know, go about it the right way. But it is OK to ask. Great ending. Thank you so much, Sadia. Take care. See you. Bye. Bye bye. The Unfair Sex is not sponsored, so if you liked our show, please show your support by liking, subscribing and sharing on all your favourite social media platforms. We are on Twitter at The Unfair Sex, we're on Instagram and Facebook as at The Unfair Sex Podcast and you can email us theunfairsex at gmail.com. Bye.